And here we go, the Downward Facing Spiritual Spiral Podcast. My name is Eddie Cohn, the host, creator, producer. Actually, my cat Nellie is in the studio right now. She's just chilling on the leather chair that I have in the studio. So hopefully she'll just keep chilling. No host, rather no guest today. I do have a really potentially really exciting guest coming up next week. I don't want to say too much because anything could happen. The reality is he's a trainer here at a studio, a fitness studio, and he was diagnosed with cancer about maybe a couple months ago, and he's only in his 30s. But I know he's scheduled for another round of chemo next week, so Hopefully everything will be okay. He said more than likely things should be fine and he'll be able to come into the studio to record the podcast with me. But, you know, I got my fingers crossed that everything goes well, obviously, and that his health stays at a level where he is comfortable to um, come over here and talk to me. So really excited to have him on the show. And I know that I'm going to talk about this idea of wanting versus feeling as though the difference between wanting to do something and feeling as though you have to do something. It's something I've been thinking about the last few days. Oh, there comes the other cat. <laughs> I'm telling you, every time I start talking in here, they just want to come in and, and hang out. But I want to talk a little bit more about this idea of criticism. And I brought it up a few weeks ago on a podcast, but it, it, I've got a lot of response actually from people regarding the podcast. And, you know, I'm not saying that you should be some cantankerous, you know, insensitive asshole, or you're just criticizing, or you're sort of like this old man hanging out on your step stool, just yelling at kids down the streets. You know, I think this is a really important point to talk about a little bit further that this idea of criticism, being critical, and I'm not talking about complaining, I'm talking about being critical of our culture. And I, I think the reason why I'm still thinking about it is there's a lot of things that I became acquainted with over the last week. First of all, I'm watching a show on HBO right now called Succession. And I feel as though HBO still has a group of people in development that are critical with one another to create a show that exudes just authenticity, high quality. It's it's an amazing show. It's so well done. I highly recommend it, Succession. And I feel as though, although HBO does have a few shows that come out that aren't particularly very good, they still seem to just create top-notch stories, characters that are fully developed, I'm just thinking The Night Of, Chernobyl. Um, I know I just finished watching something else on HBO that blew me away. I hear Watchmen is fantastic. I haven't watched it yet, but I guess I'm bringing this up because I'm seeing all these billboards around Hollywood talking about how amazing <laughs> The Irishman is. And I don't mean to keep bringing it up, but I, I just, I don't know what people saw. I don't know what I what they saw because what I saw was just mediocre, was unfocused. Oh gosh, one of my cats. Leo, come on. Get down. Get down, buddy. Come on. You gotta go. Stop it. Stop. Go. Gosh. 
Crazy. So what I, I mean, again, I don't want to talk too much about Irishman because I've talked about it ad, ad, ad nauseum and I don't want to just lambast the show or the movie, but I don't know what people saw. And I just read an article that's really interesting in the New York Times. It's about Martin Scorsese. And he's talking about how he's had a lot of conflict with previous with film studios about previous projects he's worked on, particularly in the editing process. Typically, the studios and the producers want him to make the movies shorter, and he really despises that process when he's dealing with producers. They're sharing their two cents about his film. And it's, it's, I, it's just interesting to me, with this one, The Irishman, he was getting fed up with the studios, so he left, finished it with Netflix, and of course, Netflix isn't giving him those parameters where he needs to worry about length. And I think that's my biggest issue, or one of them, with Netflix. I don't think they really have that group of development executives that, say, HBO has or Paramount has, where they are really creating, you know, editing makes something better. Precision, tightening something up. I mean, you don't want a song. It's very, it's very rare that a song could be like Stairway to Heaven, or it's rare that a movie can be three hours long and still retain your attention. And to me, development executives, editors, producers, they may not be the director, they may not be the writer, but the editing of a film or a a movie or a TV show or a song is almost just as important as the direction. And it feels to me as though Netflix lacks those very important pieces of a production team. I mean, of course they're there. But it feels to me as though they're not as well-trained or well-versed as those people at HBO or at a film production company. To me, Netflix's bottom line is much different than say, HBO. To me, HBO is still... When I watch an HBO show, it feels to me as though the creativity, characters, story, plot are just as important as making money. And I'm also bringing up all of this because I'm reading... uh, Leo, come on. He's on my lap now. Leo, get... Okay, we're going to try and do this. I'm also going to bring this up because... I'm reading a book called Creativity Inc. by Ed Catmull. He is the president of Pixar Animation. And so it's going to be a little bit lengthy here, but I think it's really important for me to read this to you. They have they created something called a brain trust. And it's a group of individuals, creative individuals, that all get together and meet talking about different creative projects that they're working on. And to me... We all need, if you're a creator, you need a brain trust, people that will be honest with you. And I think this goes beyond creativity. I think it includes your day-to-day life. I do think you need people out there 
that call you out every now and again and, and say something like, you know, you could have done that better or why are you behaving in that particular way? And again, it's not about being some draconian, middle-aged, angry old man who just wants to vomit all over what you're doing. There is a gentle, sensitive way of being critical about life, creative pursuits, even with your friends, dealing with your friends and, and the way they live their lives. I think it's important that we all have a way of communicating to one another where, of course, we can be supportive, but we also should be able to tell somebody that they can be doing something better. So I want to read this to you because I think it's really fascinating. And of course, you're going to hear my cat purring in the the background. In the very early days of Pixar, John, Andrew, Pete, Lee, and Joe made a promise to one another. No matter what happened, they would always tell each other the truth. They did this because they recognized how important and rare candid feedback is and how without it, our films would suffer. Then and now, the term we use to describe this kind of constructive criticism is good notes. A good note says what is wrong, what is missing, what isn't clear, and what makes no sense. A good note is offered at a timely moment, not too late to fix the problem. A good note doesn't make demands. It doesn't even have to include a proposed fix. But if it does, that fix is offered only to illustrate a potential solution not to prescribe an answer. Most of all, though, a good note is specific. I'm writhing with boredom is not a good note. As Andrew Stanton says, there's a difference between criticism and constructive criticism. With the latter, you're constructing at the same time that you're criticizing. You're building as you're breaking down, making new pieces to work out of the stuff you just ripped apart. There's an art form in its... in. There's an art form in itself. I always feel like whatever notes you're giving should inspire the recipient. Like, how do I get that kid to want to redo his homework? And then here, last but not least, one last section, which I think is really important. Telling the truth is difficult, but inside a creative company, it is the only way to ensure excellence. It is the job of the manager to watch the dynamics in the room, although sometimes a director will come in after a meeting to say that some people were holding back. In these cases, the solution is often to convene a smaller group, a sort of mini brain trust, to encourage more direct communication by limiting the number of participants. Yeah, I just really, I found it really interesting that right after my podcast a couple weeks ago regarding criticism, I read those passages in that book, Creativity Inc. I think I don't I don't think it's just regarding creativity. I think we need those types of people that can be honest with us about our behavior, about our day-to-day life, about our pursuits, about our habits, if we eat too much, if we drink too much. I mean, people just want to do whatever they want. And there's an out. You know, Martin Scors- Martin Scorsese, who isn't making a really great movie. Paramount wants him to make changes. Instead of trying to make those changes and make a tighter movie, he just heads over to Netflix and Netflix says, here, just do whatever you want. We live in a day and age now where people just want to do whatever they want and they're incapable of of hearing criticism and people are scared to give criticism. (laughs) 
Last segment. This idea of wanting to do something versus do you feel as though you have to? And I've been thinking about that a lot the last couple weeks. And this tendency now of do you feel like you want to be on social media or do you feel like you have to? And I have all these friends that tell me these stories about casting directors asking actors how many followers they have. That's the first thing that casting directors ask an actor when they walk into an audition. So if an actor hears that every time they go into an audition, well, then of course they're going to think they have to spend their time on Instagram. In fact, marketing people in almost every industry are telling people you have to pay attention to your Instagram. So if the whole world is is basically telling people that you have to curate or pay attention to your Instagram, well, that's going to make everybody think that they have to. And I almost feel as though it's made people lazy. Instead of people really working on their craft, instead of companies hiring somebody to find really great talent, they're just relying on somebody's following on Instagram to give them the impression that this person is worth signing or hiring for a gig. So if that's the world we live in, of course, everybody, especially artists, are going to think, oh, I need to be on Instagram. I get the sense that we get caught up in this world of having to do something or feeling as though we have to. And I was at a party a couple weeks ago, a Christmas party, and there was 10 of us there. And nine of us never used our cell phones throughout the evening. We just, you know, ate, talked, exchanged gifts. But one of us at the party had her phone with her, taking photos, sharing stuff on Instagram all night long, like every five minutes. She was clearly having a great time with her phone, Instagramming away. But I thought to myself, does, does she want to be doing all of that and be on her phone constantly sharing every little detail of her life on Instagram? Or does she feel as though she has to, or is she addicted to the dopamine? Because she was clearly the most unpresent person at the party. And it's not possible to be, to be present at a party when you're also on your phone using Instagram. I get the sense that because of the dopamine, because people in, the, in our culture are saying you have to be on Instagram, because they're so intoxicating, they're easy to access, it makes people feel as though they have to be on Instagram all the time. And I keep taking further steps back. I keep unfollowing people. I keep muting people. And I think this is what, and last but not least, and I'm going to play a clip for you from Ezra Klein show. The reason why this is so valuable, this question of, do you want to do something or do you feel as though you have to, because everybody else is doing it. It's tearing individuals apart. 
If you feel as though you have to do something and then you do it, you are losing sight of who you actually are. That's why it's so important to not do something. Don't follow something just because they followed you. Or don't bring your phone with you and start taking Instagram stories everywhere you go because you love the fact that people are watching you or giving you likes or dopamine. It's creating a world where people are becoming the same and people are losing touch with who they really are. Because again, if you keep doing something for feedback, for the attention, you're slowly losing what you what your actual desires are. So I want to play this clip from the Ezra Klein show. He's speaking to Cal Newport, who's you know one of my favorite writers. He wrote Digital Minimalism. He wrote Deep Work. The other point, well, let me play this clip, and then I'll end with a point, and then I'll let you go. And it had a definition of solitude uh, that really resonated with me, which is freedom from inputs from other minds. Uh, and I thought that was interesting because a lot of people think solitude in terms of uh, isolation. Am I far away from other people? Uh, am I far away from stimuli? Am I up in a cabin in the woods? But the, the definition that I took from there is, no, no, it's about what is your mind processing? And so if you're uh, processing input from another mind, so looking at your phone, reading something, talking to someone, uh, sorry to say, listening to a podcast. Uh, any of this means you're not in a You state shut of... your mouth. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> yeah, it's a garbage book and a garbage idea. <laughs> Listen to the podcast. <laughs> um, so any, any circumstance in which you're processing inputs from other minds, you're not in solitude. And on the flip side, if you are alone with your thoughts, even if you're in a crowded coffee shop or on a subway car, uh, that could be a state of solitude. Um, and so my short summary of my argument on that is that solitude uh, is really, really important. And so I think the image a lot of people have of solitude, maybe even the image I have of solitude, is you imagine somebody in a cabin in the mountains somewhere reading a book. That doesn't qualify here. Yeah, ironically, uh, that's not solitude, whereas just sitting with nothing in your ears in the most crowded subway car would be. I was thinking about this after I read it, and I was realizing that I probably don't spend 10 minutes a day in solitude. Maybe I do because I meditate. So I guess during that period of time, I do. But with the exception of that, I don't think I spend 10 minutes a day in solitude, probably even cumulatively between the things I'm doing, between you know listening to, to music and podcasts. I mean, I am constantly getting input from other minds. And, and I think a part of me thinks that's a good thing, right? To always be surfing an informational wave, to always be giving my, my mind things to process, to always be grabbing more information out of the environment around me. Why, why do you think it isn't? Well, what you're underestimating is just how much raw cycles of solitude is required to actually do that processing. And so if you're only ever exposing yourself to interesting information, if you're only ever exposing yourself to the stimuli, but not taking the time to actually think about it, to process it, to look at it from different angles, to try to run it against other paradigms or structures you have in your current mental schema. If you don't do that work of just being alone with your own thoughts, you're probably extracting just a, a small fraction of the potential value. And it's also worth emphasizing how radical what you just said actually is. This is really, let's say, the last 10 years is probably the, the first time uh, in human history that it's even possible on a consistent basis to actually banish solitude essentially completely from the everyday experience. I mean, this required technological miracles. We had the That's cover- an amazing point, actually. It really is. I mean, uh, we had to cover the entire country 
with you know, high-speed, high-capacity wireless internet. We had to develop who knows how many different breakthroughs to get modern smartphones to work. I mean, it was really a, a technological miracle that even made it possible for us to try this experiment of can we go a standard day with no moments of solitude. You know, 10 years ago, 20 years ago, would be near impossible to avoid solitude on a regular basis through a typical day. I think my point of do you feel as though you want to do something versus having to do something, I think it actually ties in with what Cal is talking about. When you're constantly told something, constantly stimulated, constantly feeding your brain with information, you don't have time to think for yourself. You don't have time for solitude. Because I do believe in those moments of solitude, you're digesting everything that you've listened to, absorbed, talked about, and then you're able to frame your own point of view. I really think we are lacking a culture of unique points of view. That is a result of a culture that's scared to criticize and a culture that is constantly consuming, constantly doing things because they feel as though they have to. People are continually losing touch with their own sense of self and technology and the culture that we live in is just perpetuating it. That is the theme of the podcast and specifically of today's show. I just, I just figured it out. It all somehow connects. This idea of being scared to criticize, this idea of doing things because you feel as though you have to, this concept of continually consuming, consuming, consuming with no iota of solitude so you can actually take a step back and think about what you're consuming. It's creating a world of robots and it's creating a world where everybody's behaving the same and people can't think for themselves. I just figured out why this is what's happening. It's crazy. I think it's really um, just some just some food for thought today. I think in closing, I'm so close to having my book done and You need discipline to get something like this done. You need some honest feedback to get something like this done. But you also need time to be alone in solitude, to get all of your thoughts together, to think clearly, to think for yourself, to not be distracted, to not be influenced. I mean, it's so important. It's a process, but it's ultimately getting to a place where... You can think clearly, think for yourself, make decisions more succinctly. That's the goal. That is truly the goal. So thanks so much for listening. Really excited that you listened to today's show. Somehow I made my way through it, despite the fact that my cats were pretty much all over the studio throughout this whole whole podcast. So hopefully next week I'll be speaking to somebody that's going to be really inspiring for you guys to listen to hoping that it happens as long as his health is in good standing. I'll see him next week. As always, if you dig the show, head over to iTunes, write a review, give it a five star, share the show with friends. You can reach out to me on Instagram at Eddie Cohn or Twitter at the same handle. You can visit my Patreon at patreon.com backslash Eddie Cohn. You can support the show that way. As always, thank you so much for listening 
and supporting the Downward Facing Spiritual Spiral podcast. Thank you.